out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Hello and welcome to episode two of Autographs, an Auto New Fantasy Baseball podcast hosted on Rotographs. I'm your host, Joe Douglas, and joining me tonight is Justin Bibber, Trey Bond, and Tom Olterzewski. How are you doing tonight, guys? Hey, Joe. Good. How are you? Pretty good. So auction season is in full swing. Um, for those of you who haven't experienced an Auto New auction, it's probably the best experience in fantasy sports. But we just wanted to talk through a little bit of our own auction strategies and auction experiences. Um, and try to give some tidbits or advice to anyone who might be new to the format. So I guess the first question I have for all of you is how many auto new auctions have you done so far this season? <laughs> Any of you can start with that. I <laughs> all, right, all right, I'll jump in. Uh, okay, I've Tom. done two already this season um, and also done a couple of proxy drafts. I think two proxies that I stepped in for someone else. <laughs> So proxy drafts, I guess for anyone new to AutoNew, um, most formats typically have an auto draft system, but AutoNew does not. So can you just explain proxy drafting real quick? Since Yeah, so um, I mean, it's just what it sounds like. You get someone to step in as your proxy. So say if you can't make the draft, you go on Slack. Uh, that's how we found everyone so far. And you say, hey, the auction's on Friday this night. Can somebody step in and proxy draft for me? Usually what we'll do now is... Um, you'll get added to the team as a co-owner. And then say I drafted for, oh, and a couple days ago, he gave me a list of a couple players he was interested in. And um, and then I tried to kind of fill out his team as best I could. Okay. What about you, uh, Trey and Justin? How many drafts have you done so far this year? I'll go next because Justin's may take a while to count his down. <laughs> um, I, I've had two as well. And uh, one of those was with you, Joe. So we co-drafted, which was a lot of fun. But I've had two, one from scratch, one in the Champions League where I was rebuilding. And then I've got one more coming up in a, in about a week. Yeah, and I, I've only had one as well. It was just the one that we co-owned. I sat in on one just to see how everything was going. But um, only one that I've actually drafted so far. And I guess that leaves us with you, Justin. <laughs> okay, well, I've had five auto new auctions of my own leagues so far. Um, that's one new league and four existing leagues. Um, I also proxied for a sixth and I also shadowed a seventh that we did. I did the live stream uh, a few weeks back. So technically I've sat through seven nights and that's well, make it nine nights of auctions. Cause we had a two night auction for the, for the brand new league. So yeah, so I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> And, I, yeah. and and it's, it's not done. It's about halfway through. So Yeah, how many more do you have? How many more nights? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, Do you even six, want to ask seven. that question? <laughs> There's, I've got eight more nights of auctions. Oh, boy. Do you have frequent flyer miles or do you get like <laughs> every every fifth auction free or something like that? He owns stock. My, <laughs> my goal is it, it, practice makes perfect, right? So if I auction more than anyone else in Autonew, then maybe that means I'll, I'll get some sort of advantage. So 
th- yeah, that brings up a good point, though, Justin. You mentioned practice, practice makes perfect, and I guess this ties back to what Tom was saying about proxy drafting. Um, since Autony doesn't have a mock draft system, do you guys tend to be pretty open to proxying, or is I, I don't know if you had a specific reason for doing it. Or um, I know that w- at least for me in the past, when I have proxy draft drafted for someone, it's specifically been because there is no mock draft system. Yeah, I definitely feel the same. I um, I mean, I don't go too far out of my way to find leagues to proxy draft, but I do try to be like pretty open if somebody needs it because it is good practice. Um, unfortunately, sometimes I end up drafting them better teams than I draft for myself, but uh, <laughs> that's the risk you take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't really view it as an opportunity. I mean, I made, made the joke a minute ago, but I didn't. I don't view it as an opportunity to, you know, kind of do a mod, mock auction and add to, um, you know, the experience that I have doing the auctions, mostly because I already have enough of my own leagues that I, that's not really necessary for me. Um, I proxy usually just because somebody desperately needs a replacement, and I'm, you know, if I'm available and the wife doesn't look at me, with too much uh, hatred in her eyes, then uh, then I'll be happy to, to proxy draft for somebody. So um, for me, it's more just helping out, and I know I can go in and do a halfway decent job of, of getting somebody a decent squad. So Okay. So I guess my question would be, like, let's go back to square one and say that I've never played auto new. Okay. How would you guys describe the auto new auction, and could you give any tidbits of advice for me as a new owner? Well, I, the first thing I put on my list here is that the auction moves really fast. And I think um, I, I would guess all you guys would agree back when we joined Adenu and we got in that first auction, it was kind of shocking to see how quickly it moves. And now that's something that veterans come prepared for. You know, as soon as you count down to eight o'clock and you're ready to get going, like it really takes off. So you need to, if you haven't proxy drafted or sat in and watched one of the live streams we've done, you need to just kind of be ready to go, and as things start moving, you know, have your um, all your values queued up or have your watch list queued up, something to help you keep up with the pace. Yeah, I agree with Tom. I mean, we had an article a couple of weeks ago that you can watch a short video of an auction, one of the first ones that that were that took place this season, and it does move very, very fast. In fact. I think if you're if you're new to auto new, then you'll be surprised at how quickly it moves. But if you're new to auctions uh, in general, I would say you're really going to be surprised because it does go very very fast. I think what uh, 30, 30 seconds per player plus it it goes back up to fifteen seconds with each bid. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That, that sounds right. Yeah, thirty seconds for each nomination, fifteen seconds I think with each bid. Yeah. So even expensive players can be gone, you know, in a minute or under 90 seconds. Well, Joe and I drafted together the other day, and I blame Justin because he started the clock, but we missed two players that we didn't even know were drafted because we weren't in the room or we weren't we weren't there at the right time. So um, it goes fast. You got to be ready. And I think my – Biggest piece of advice is, in fact, I'll give Joe credit this because I think he pioneered this, is that there's a queue in the auction. You can queue up your players and they'll remove themselves basically as they're drafted. But I think what Joe did, which I think was really smart, is he loaded the queue in the order of his rankings. And I had never done that before until this season. And that was really helpful because he did it by position. And so you could scroll through your queue by position and say, okay, well, 
these are the catchers that are left. These are the shortstops that are left. And you kind of could see where the tiers were, who was available, who you could nominate. That that helped me a lot. So that's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give is take the time to load your queue for sure. But if you take the time to do it in order, it, it really makes a difference. Because if you don't load your queue, you're going to be searching for players or you're going to totally forget players that other people nominate and you're going to start scrambling to try to find them. And if you don't do that, uh, you're going to miss out. And I want to jump in on that real quick too, because that's something I've always done. I tend to micromanage, especially my draft board. Um, and I've just found it really helpful to be able to list not just by position, but to try to go as deep as I can. Um, oftentimes I'll go through the entire auction and every player who's drafted is in my queue. But um, because for anyone who's new to auto new, it's pre-draft rankings don't exactly. So sometimes they can be a little bit finicky. So you want to be able to find, you want to at least search for the guys that you want and put together your rankings in a queue, because if you don't, you're probably going to forget that players are available because the player universe is so large. Yeah. I totally agree there too. Even if you don't forget a player is available, it's just easy to get caught up in the speed of the auction and mm-hmm. you see a player going and all of a sudden you panic and you think you have to jump in. And then a minute later, you're like, oh, man, you know, I had another guy I liked even better. I should have just waited. <laughs> so putting them in order like that really would help you at a glance see, you know, all the players that you want to go after and see at a glance who's coming up and not have to panic. <laughs> yeah, I to, to jump in myself here, uh, kind of bridging the gap between what Tom mentioned about the auction moving fast and then Trey talking about um, – loading your queue is that that's kind of the biggest initial takeaway for me is, is if you want to be ready to, to do the auction, you need to be prepared. Um, for me, that would be have your values set ahead of time, have a sheet. I like to track it, the draft in Excel um, as the draft goes on, because number one, you avoid the issue that, that Joe and Trey mentioned where you forgot that a player was available because the, you know, the, the way the, the, available free agents list is set up at Oddity. It's not very intuitive. Um, it's very easy to overlook the fact that somebody's available. But if you have a value sheet outside of that and you're tracking it the whole way while you draft, then you know who's available. You know who's not. As Joe said with the tiers, you can see those tiers if you're tracking it yourself. Um, and I mean, you're already, presumably, you already have a set of values that you're looking at. So as long as you're tracking the, the auction as you go, um, you won't have to worry about forgetting that someone was available or, or, you know, the the other thing with preparation is the more you prepare ahead of time, the more you're not panicking when somebody comes up and you can't find, you know, how much he's worth, or you don't, you didn't have an idea in your head about, well, what do I do if this guy gets bid first or, uh, how, how, how much money do I really want to spend on Mike Trout if he gets nominated, you know, to have all that preparation done ahead of time, um, because the auction is so fast paced, you don't, you can't make those decisions during the auction. In, in a lot of ways, you really need to kind of because there's not a mock draft, you kind of have to do it in your head and do it with your preparation, do it with your value sheet to, to kind of have a defined. This is how much I'm willing to go for each player. Here are the players in the positions that I want to focus on um, and have that preparation done ahead of time. That okay. would be a big recommendation for me. So, Justin, you mentioned preparation, and I guess to go back to Trey and Tom, um, and I mean, you could even talk about this a little bit more, Justin, but what are some of the ways that you prepare? I know you mentioned like having your dollar values and knowing what prices you want to go to, go to on players, but I think that's going to look different for each of us. So um, I guess, do any of you guys 
have your own strategies as far as preparing for the draft. And this can be in first year leagues or second year leagues. Yeah, I um, I like to do similar to what you guys did. You know, have an Excel sheet with all your values. <laughs> uh, my first couple of seasons, what I would do is um, sort it similar to the way you did your watch list. I'd have it all set up by position and then sorted by the value I placed on them. And then bit by bit, as players got drafted, I would delete them out of the list. So you have kind of that same shrinking watch list. And what was great about Excel is I would color code them all, you know, both by position, but I would also code maybe guys that I wanted to target. So, you know, say Russell Martin isn't the highest player on my catcher list, but I know that he's someone I want to target because I think I can get him at a good value. I would highlight those players and then I could pick them out at a glance at any time. Okay, and then I wanted to specifically put this back to Trey because I, I thought what we had done for the brinksmanship auction that just happened where we co-owned actually went really well as far as having a roster sheet and then adjusting it as the draft went on. I, do you want to talk about that at all, Trey? Yeah, we built an auction guide, essentially. We we built all 40 roster spots. So you have your starting lineup plus your pitchers and then your bench. And... Uh, I'm sure this will come up later, but talking about which positions you need to fill uh, early and late, that sort of thing. But we had a sheet that laid out every position. We built a perfect draft board. We essentially said if we could draft the perfect team, we budgeted it out by position and by player. So we said we're going to skimp on catcher. We're going to we're going to play. Uh, we're going to spend a couple of dollars on catchers, but we're going to spend big on the outfield or pitchers or shortstops, wherever we decided to do that. But then to the side of that 40 man roster, we had tiers of players and the expected prices that we were comfortable spending or what we thought they would go for. And we constantly adjusted that throughout the draft. So for instance, we really wanted Manny Machado. Uh, we wanted him as our shortstop. We thought we could get him for, mid to high 40s and we got him for a few dollars less and so we immediately plugged him in and we readjusted our budget for the rest of the roster so we knew we could spend elsewhere a little bit more here or there and that really worked well because we were able to adjust now we had sort of an advantage because we had two people doing it and that helped a lot so it's not always as easy and as quick to do that with one person but again this is all about preparation so if you build a roster sheet and maybe you list out five players in each position that are alternatives to who you really want to draft. That that seems like it's a, a good first step. Did you have any other comments you wanted to add, Justin, on preparation? Or I? Yeah, I mean, my own personal process, um, I have an Excel sheet with all my values. I have a column on that sheet where I identify the players that I want to target. Um the way I use my watch list queue uh, in the auto new site auction site itself. Um, I like to add initially, I like to add all the players that I think are going to go for, for more, way more money than I think they should. Um, and those are the guys I'm going to nominate early in the auction. Um, that's kind of like a classic uh, strategy that, that most people will recommend that you do as part of an auction that, that early in the auction, you nominate guys you don't actually want. Um, I usually do that because number one, I want to get money out of the pockets of my competitors so that I can have more money than them when the values start falling later in the auction. Cause that's normally how the auction flows. Um, and number two, at the beginning of the auction, people have more money to spend. They're more willing to, to, to bump up a dollar or $2 or $3. So if I think someone's going to be overpaid, they're going to be overpaid a lot more 
if I nominate them early rather than later. So at the beginning of the auction, I um, my watch list is filled with guys I don't actually want. I'm going to nominate them because I want someone else to overpay for them. Once I get through that initial list, I might have 12 to 20 guys on there. Then I'll start adding my sort of my end my end game guys that I want to target, and then I'll add all of them to the queue during the auction. Um, so, and then I do that by position. So I'll have all the catchers I'm going to target that are still left, all the first base and whatever. Um, so then I have a list, and the and the, the benefit of having guys on your watch list that you're actually interested in is is critical at the end of the auction because if you have sound on, you're going to get an audible chime whenever someone on your watch list is nominated. So if you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for a particular guy and somebody nominates him and you don't pay attention, if you didn't have him on your watch list, you might miss the fact that he was nominated and miss out completely on bidding for him. If you get distracted, because things happen so fast, if you get distracted for 30 seconds, the guy could be gone. Um, Especially as you get to the end of the auction, guys are going for a dollar or two dollars. It takes 20 seconds for that auction to end. Um, So it's very important to have those sort of late game targets on your watch list. So you get that chime and you go, wait a second. Um, somebody just nominated somebody that I want, so I need to pay attention here. So, Okay. So, Tom and Trey, I guess going off of Justin's point then, do you have any strategies as far as early in the auction compared to late in the auction? Yeah, well, um, I was just thinking as Justin was talking, um, one thing that I really like to do uh, is to nominate those players that you think are going to be overpaid early, but because there's kind of a, a thought that players might be overpaid in that first round of 12 or 15 players, uh, I think that's a really good time to stay on alert. Every so often, you'll see kind of the whole draft room like psych each other out, and you see a player all of a sudden going for $5 less than the value you have, uh, and I think that's a really good time to strike and get him because so many times it's really easy to get spooked by that same effect that everyone is, and you say, whoa, you know, if this player's not going to go for a lot, I better wait and I'll get cheap players later. But actually, the opposite will happen. You know, if you see those players going for cheaper early... It just means everyone's going to have more money later. So I think it's it's really good to be alert of what your opponents are doing. Sometimes they say about poker, you have to play your opponent, not the hand. So if you see your opponents kind of getting psyched out, that's a good opportunity to strike in that early section. I really like that idea of playing your opponents because I feel like that's that comes up in auction drafts a lot. Trey, what do you think as far as um, early versus late buys? And I know you and I tend to be in pretty close alignment on this. Yeah, I want to come back to something that Tom said, but as far as early, late, I mean, I like to be, I like to be aggressive early if I can, because I do think you can find some deals in the beginning. And I do think we need to spend a few minutes later on this podcast talking about the differences between a brand new league and an existing league, because you really don't have a ton of inflation in a new league. And so there's some differences in the strategy that you can take in the auction, but I like to be aggressive early. I like to get a couple guys locked into my roster so I can begin to adjust late. And then I usually, this is not necessarily a strategy, it's just sort of a tendency, but I usually kind of sit back in the middle of the draft and I'll, you know, I'll kind of attack guys that I think are good values, but I really like to, I really like to be, I guess I I like to have money available at the end of the draft because I do think I'm stronger (laughs) near the end of the draft with, I'd say five to to one dollar guys. That's that's really where I think I can I can make up a lot of uh, a lot of value at the at the end of the draft. And go back to what Tom said, just uh, to jump in one thing. And I kind of want to get Justin's reaction to this. Tom was talking about playing the opponent, and I agree with that completely. I know Justin is uh, 
is robotic in a sense of playing to his values. But um, I, I honestly, I don't look at dollar values of my players at all during my auction. I, I prepare ahead of time and I know which players I want to target, but I play the room or at least I try to. Um, so you're going to overspend on a couple guys and hopefully you're going to underspend on a few guys, but you really have to play the rest of the 11 people in the room to make sure that you adjust accordingly because other people value players differently than you do. And so you need to, you need to attack when there's an opportunity and you need to kind of step away when you're uncomfortable, uh, in a situation. But I I try not to be a slave to the dollar values. I'm curious what Justin says about that. It might be blasphemy. Can I hop in on that real quick just before like to give a practical example of that, I guess would be our auction for Machado in the draft that just happened this past week because we already had Correa. And I mean, we were talking through it right then and we were like, you know what? We don't didn't think we would get Machado because we already had Correa, but we're going to throw Machado at 42 right off the bat um, and just give everyone 15 seconds to make a decision. So I, I, I mean, just as far as practical examples go, but okay, Justin, you can. <laughs> I can I can go on my rant now. Yeah. <laughs> the floor is mine. Um, the floor is yours. <laughs> yeah, I I I am a slave to my values. I I I do the work to to create dollar values, so I pretty much stick to them during the auction. Um there's one key thing though that I do that that probably does tie into Trey's point of of playing the room and and Tom's point of playing your opponents as much as you are uh, you know, anything else. And that's I track inflation during the auction. Every time someone's won, my inflation calculation changes automatically on my sheet. So it adjusts my max bid for every player. Um, that's important because here's an example. I was part of um, Brad Johnson had a, an experimental league that he started up. Uh, he posted about on Rotographs a couple weeks ago um, called Utility Wars. It was a a 20-team auction league, 12 roster spots. You start six guys, hitters only. Um, and it's basically a points kind of similar to, to auto new point scoring it, it, very similar to a linear weights type scoring. Um, so I had to create auction values for that league. Now that's not a league type I've ever played before. It's not a league type that anybody else has really played before. You're not going to find a lot of advice on how to value a guy like that, uh, you know, value players in a draft like that. So I created my values. So early in the auction, here's what happened. Everyone went for way over my values, trout Stanton, all the big hitters went for way more than I had valued. What that meant was that there would be deflation later in the auction. There would be values to be had later as long as I was patient. So my my uh, max bid numbers change because now I don't need to spend $20 on a $20 player because I know I'm going to be able to get a $20 player later for $18 because people overpaid early. And the opposite can be true too. If, if, if there are a lot of values to be had early uh, in the auction, and I think sometimes there there often are. Sometimes the first few nominations, guys don't really have a sense of, especially in a in a returning league where there's inflation. Sometimes a lot of the other owners don't have a really good sense of, wow, uh, Miggy just went for fifty five dollars. That seems crazy. That's way more than he's worth. Well, yeah, it is, but you have forty percent inflation, so maybe that's actually a little bit under where he should go. Um, so I I adjust my max bids while you while the auction is going on to try to account for the fact that that money is coming in, you know, is being overspent or underspent in the auction. Um, But in general, yeah, I I am a slave to my values. I don't really make a lot of judgment calls as far as, uh, you know, this is where my comfort is or or not. 
I do that preparation ahead of time so that I'm not making those those subjective decisions during the auction. So, um, do you have any thoughts on that on on that, Tom? Yeah, I was going to say um, I think that my strategy is a little bit between. Uh, it's like a balance between kind of the robotic style and the playing the room style. You know, I've always felt that having really strong values and kind of sticking to them is a really great way to help you see those opportunities where you can take advantage of your opponents. So if you have, um, kind of like you were describing, a really strong set of values and you've accounted for inflation and you're looking at what some of your opponents are doing, that's really what's going to help you when you see Miguel Cabrera at $45. You can make that snap decision. Should I strike here or should I lay off You know, instead of having to kind of play it more by year? So I guess that... That kind of covers the inflation topic, I guess, in second year leagues. We can jump into any of that more. But one of the things that I, I, I wanted to go back to was the idea of being patient late in drafts. Um, that's something that I tend to do in nearly every auction that I'm in. Um, one of the things, and I know this came up when we were drafting, because you and I talked about it for a bit, Trey, was the idea of um, how much of a premium roster spots are when you get down towards the end of the auction. Like, So when everyone's at 15 spots left, 10 spots left, five spots left. Um, that when you start to get start to get into those five dollar and under players, um, a lot of teams oh, I feel like are very quick to fill their roster too quickly. Um, I don't know if you guys have experienced that or have any opinions on it. Um, but in that scenario, I tend to just nominate guys that I know are gonna go for two dollars, even if I so I'll nominate them at one and just let other teams waste their roster spots so that at the end I can just pick up all the $1 players I want. Um, I don't do any of you guys have opinions on that or do you see that often? I mean, just for the audience, Joe is selling himself a little short. He is the king of having like 15 spots left open at the end. Um, and and, and it, he makes it sound a little easy, but it is um, sometimes challenging to have a good sense of, can I throw this guy and he will go for $2 and I think that's where sometimes less experienced owners get tripped up is that they might have that idea that they want to be ready for late, but they start throwing out prospects and they start throwing out relievers and they just get stuck with a lot of guys or they have a really jumpy trigger finger and they bid $2 and they get stuck with someone where they were trying to price enforce. So I think the corollary to that to me is like, don't get too cute late, you know, have a plan and stick to it. Um, but don't, kind of get really cute and think you're going to mess with other teams. Just stick to your guns and don't screw around. <laughs> and I think one of the other things, especially for someone who has not had an auto new auction so far, is that you can't just skip a nomination. So if I if I go in and it's like, okay, well, I have five, five spots left, but I only want dollar guys, so I'm just going to wait. That's not an option because you're going to get booted from the draft. So, um, I, well, and, you're, you're and not going to get booted. Sorry, I just want to interrupt. You're not going to get booted from the draft. What will happen is you'll get locked out, so you won't be able to nominate. But it's not; it won't actually kick you out. The commissioner can undo it, um, and and you know usually that the commissioner will undo it because you're going to miss it because you know life happens and something distracted you and you just legitimately didn't get to your nomination. But but if you consistently <laughs> if you consistently don't nominate a player, I feel like then, then, it really then depends on the patience of your commissioner. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So then you're probably going to get locked out. Yeah. So I guess my, well, my that's, a, that's a new rule this year, right? I mean, we we found that out early on. We didn't even know about it, but I will say I, I do think it makes a difference because it definitely it helps a big, the speed and pace. It definitely does. I mean, Justin made a comment the other night that 
you know, I think uh, a standard brand new league, uh, an auction takes about eight hours. And I think we got through yep. ours in six and a half. So yes. I, I don't know if I attribute all that to not skipping nominations, but a couple of years ago, there were teams that would just sit there and not nominate players for hours. Mm-hmm. And it really makes a difference. So you have to be well prepared because you can't skip those nominations. And I guess to tie everything together, um, going back to the idea of having your queue preloaded and of having a really good idea of depth charts, um, that's one of the things that I really try to do because towards the end of the auction, I want to be able to just nominate guys that I know are going to go for $2 or more because you can't miss a nomination. So if I get stuck and I pick someone just because it's like, oh, I need to throw a player, it's very likely that I get stuck with that player at a dollar and then I'm down one roster spot. Um, and that's not a situation that I typically want to get stuck with. I think another thing that can happen too is you don't want to have a player you've been <laughs> sitting on all night and you want to get him at $1. And all of a sudden you panic and you have to nominate someone and you throw him and you lose that player. And you're thinking like, man, I wish I could have just waited a couple more rounds. You want to just have a lot of players ready so you'll never get stuck having to scramble. Yeah, that's definitely true. And, and, and you know, I think that the point about the roster premium is very important. I, what I've found when I'm drafting is whenever I'm getting towards the end of the auction, I almost always have plenty of guys that I think are worth four or five dollars or more um, that I'm interested in owning it's there's almost no situation where I want to own a dollar that's only worth I'm sorry own a guy that's only worth a dollar or two on my sheet Um, because I know I can get guys that are worth more than that so as Joe said if if I'm spending a roster spot on a guy that's worth a dollar because I got stuck with him that's actually a huge loss because that could be an eight, nine, $10 player potentially that I could have picked up at the end for $2. And instead I've wasted a roster spot on a guy that, that really doesn't add a lot of value to my team. So Justin Clayton Blackburn doesn't count. Well, (laughs) we're all, we're all allowed our shiny toys. Okay. We're all allowed our, our, our infatuations, even if they're irrational. So Justin, you've had five drafts. How many Clayton Blackburns do you own? Less than you'd think actually. (laughs) So five. No, no, no. I, I, can, I, can, I can look right now. I have a, I have a, I have a Google sheet with all my rosters on it. Um, How many tabs have Clayton Brockburn on? I'm looking right now. It, I told you it would be a lot well, less than you thought. While Justin looks, um, Tom and Trey, you guys have talked about this some, but I want to bring up the idea of tiers. I know that um, we talked about this a lot during our auction, Trey. But I think instead of having rankings, having tiers is really important because it allows you to see similarly grouped players and to know when a tier is really close to ending. Um, is that something that you do, Tom? Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily, um, you know, block out every single tier, but it's something I try to be aware of a lot, uh, both in terms of, you know, groups of players. So say there's, you know, one really great catcher left and then a group of five guys that are similar and four of them have gone you might want to grab that fifth guy, you know, before you really get down into the next tier of like really crummy players. Um, But I also try to watch out for it kind of in terms of a a general idea of prices. So if I feel like there's kind of a wave of low prices, I might want to jump in. And then as you see that start to turn, whether it's just anecdotally or whether you see the actual inflation start to move, depending on prices people are buying to have a good sense to lay out for a little bit or to jump back in when you see the prices getting good. Yeah. I think of tiers that way too. What do you think? Yeah, and just just to jump in, I I agree. I mean, second base is a good example. Um, there's so many second basemen. It's a pretty deep position, and 
Neil Walker, David Murphy, and Howie Kendrick are the same player to me. So they're, they're not the same player to other people. So you'll see prices fluctuate on those three players plus others. You could even throw – you might even throw Colton Wong in there, not because I think Wong is as good as those three, but I think other people may value him the same way. And so they may spend the same thing that they're going to spend on those other guys and – that saves Howie Kendrick for you later for six bucks. That's what happened to us. So, sorry, I meant Daniel Murphy. My fault. But, uh, but so second base catcher is kind of like that too. So those deeper <laughs> positions, those are really where you can just kind of sit back and if you have your tiers appropriately built, you can just wait and you can sit back and say, you know, I'll take the next guy. I'll overspend or I'll spend more on this position over here because I saved uh, on this player over, over on this side. And I think that's part of where ha- not having um, player attachments is really important. So, for example, with starting pitcher, you could say, you know what, there are seven guys or eight guys that I'd like at $35, okay? And I think one of them will cost that. So I'm just going to bid all seven of the guys that I like up to 35 and hopefully I will get one of them. And you can kind of just, as soon as one gets to 38, it's like, okay, well, I'm out on that guy and on to the next one. You know, and, and you can just kind of pick through tiers that way. Um, instead of saying, you know what, I really like Jake Arrieta, so I just want to own him at all costs. When in reality, you might be able to pick up Jose Fernandez or Madison Bumgarner or any other um, player that's similar um, for a cheaper price. Um, To jump in real quick um, about tiers specifically, another phenomenon that I see all the time is you get to a certain point in the auction where there's, there's one or two players left kind of at the end of a tier that's that's almost gone um those players usually go for a premium so you know if you have your 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 top 12 second baseman and there's only one of those top 12 left that guy's probably going to get it once he gets nominated he's probably going to go for more than than he should just because everyone else knows this is the last decent second baseman lesser or third base pick whatever position you want to talk about um so you have to be careful that that last guy in a tier will often go for higher than you'd expect. So if you're waiting and waiting and waiting and you're waiting for that last guy of the tier, just know um, that you're going to have to stretch everyone, your values and, and everyone else is waiting for that guy too. And and the dam will burst and someone's going to, I mean, I've seen some crazy results where there's only one decent shortstop left and he goes for $20, but I thought he was a $6 guy just because everyone was waiting that play that player to be nominated. And he's the last decent option available. Um, so we see this see, happen all the time, you know, where an outfielder will go for 30 bucks early in the draft and then you get to the end of the tier and somebody else goes for 35 and people are saying, man, I wish I would have got that first guy at 30. That looks like such a good deal now. That I think that re- oh, go ahead, Justin. I was just going to say that I think that reinforces Trey's point where he said being aggressive early and patient late is, is important because a lot of times you can actually get values at the beginning of the auction or at the beginning of the tiers um, as opposed to the, at the end of the tiers, because everyone's way, you know, when, when Mike Trout in a brand new auction, when he goes up to bid, you might not have as many people really interested because they know Stanton's out there. Betts is out there. McCutcheon's out there. So maybe he doesn't go for, you know, he goes right where he should, but once you get down and, and Stanton's the only good outfielder left, Stanton's going to go for more than he should because everyone else knows there's no star outfielder after this there's no top 12 option after this guy's gone uh so there's going to be a premium paid for that so that's really you have to be uh, uh, once i I was just going to say that's really kind of the idea of a market inefficiency 
you know, people say if every player is overpaid, you know, is anybody overpaid? So it's kind of a situation where if every team is waiting, you know, you can get an advantage by being the one team that decides not to wait. Yeah, I think that's definitely yeah. true. And this actually ties in really well with two strategies that I I like to try in auctions, and I've definitely tried them more the past two seasons. Um, the first kind of goes back to the tier idea. I If there's three or four guys who are left at a tier, like let's look at starting pitcher, for example. Um, when you look at all the, the starting pitchers who are in the like 30 to $38 range, because um, there's probably like four or five, like five to six guys in that tier. Um, one of the things that I like to do is throw when there's three or four guys left, throw someone who's not the best option at that in that group. So, for example, um, Carlos Carrasco may be available and you may say he's worth thirty eight dollars, but Jake DeGrom may be available as well. And maybe he's worth thirty two. So what I'll try to do in that scenario is throw DeGrom because I think, you know what, people are going to want Carrasco more than they're going to want DeGrom. And I can probably get DeGrom because people are waiting for the better option. Um, I, I've yeah, seen that to be pretty, <laughs> well, I've seen that to be pretty successful because it's like, I, it's a lot easier to think, you know what, I, I like Carrasco more. So I'll wait for him as opposed to saying, Oh, Carrasco's left and I like him more than the Grom. So like, I'm going to like, we'll, we'll, we will naturally bid on the better option if given the well, opportunity it, it, and, and if the better option is still available, it's a lot easier to go after that instead of waiting. Yeah. I was going to say, you really play into kind of psyching out your opponents there because <laughs> you know people are going to be waiting and saying, well, this guy's not as good. I can get the better one. So you're kind of creating a situation where you force them to have to make a choice. Do I go after DeGrom now or do I want to wait and bid on a Carrasco? And a lot exactly. of times you can really take advantage when you force people to have to think on their feet like that. Yeah, and the other thing that I like to do is I like to throw players um, just a little bit below what I think is their actual at-cost value. So, for example, last week um, – Trey and I had $48 budgeted for Manny Machado, but we threw him at 42 because it was cheap enough that we thought, hey, you know what? If we get him, we're in great shape. Um, but it only it gives everyone else 15 seconds to make a decision. So it, I like doing things like that as well because it really puts the onus on your league, league mates to make quick decisions and really have their values be right on point instead of having 15 seconds and then 15 more seconds and then 15 more seconds to actually decide if they want to bid on a player. Yeah, we've been really pushing, you know, being prepared and having your values up. It's likely that if you're listening to this podcast, you might be playing against some people who don't have their values as solidified as you do. So if you can push them to have to really think under pressure, that can give you the advantage because you're already prepared. Just to add on the tiers, what we said before, that's the value of preloading your queue in a in a tiered ranking by position because you can see them. You can see them as they as they come. So Joe and Justin's point is 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 right on cue that if you have those guys preloaded, you'll be able to see the tiers and you can throw the third guy in the tier and maybe get a bargain before the top guys go because everybody's waiting on them. Okay. So we've talked a lot about new auctions. What happens if you're in a second or third year league and you're going into the draft thinking, hey, you know what, I'm going to rebuild and I'm not going to be competitive this year. How would you guys kind of attack that? I'll, I'll jump in here uh, because I just did this in the Champions League. Completely rebuilding, had a ton of money to spend at the auction. In fact, I've had the I had the most money I've ever had to spend in any auction ever, except for a new league. I had over three hundred dollars to spend, and my strategy was pretty simple: buy the best player, regardless, almost at any cost. So I created my tiers 
there was a smaller pool of, of great players, obviously, because you've got 11 other teams that are keeping players, the best players in the league at the best values. So there was a very small tier at relief pitcher that I think there was only two or three really good relievers. There were only a couple good outfielders, a couple good shortstops, and that was pretty much it. And I bought every single one I could. In fact, the other tier was starting pitcher. And I think Harvey, Felix, and I can't remember who the third guy was, but they were clearly the best three starting pitchers available. And I was willing to spend pretty much whatever it would take to land as many of those guys as I could because I know that I'll be able to trade those this season for more than what I could if I was just saving my money in the auction and trying to fish the waiver wire for uh, for players that are going to help me next year when I'm contending again, hopefully. The other, the, Just to follow up on that point, too, is the other reason that I, I agree with what Trey said, and I think that's a valid strategy. The other reason that that is a valid strategy is if you have a returning league, a lot of the types of players that you would want to own as a rebuilding team, your young, cheap MLB options, a lot of those guys are already owned. They were already keepers. So it's not like they're freely available in the auction. The only way for you to acquire those guys is to trade for them. And the only way to trade for them is to have something that, you know, that somebody would want to trade for them. Um, in a lot of cases, that's you're trading these overpriced guys, you, these studs that you bought at the auction, and you're trading them for those those good contracted, those surplus assets um, that otherwise you wouldn't have any way to to get um, in a second, third, especially as you get to like a fourth or fifth year auction. What's available out there? If you're a rebuilding team, there's really not very much. Um, there's plenty of value to be found as far as, as major league talent and boring veterans and things like that. But if you're a rebuilding team and you want to get those younger, uh, pro, you know, major league players or even the the upper uh, top tier of prospects, those guys just aren't available at the auction. So the only way to get them is to trade for them. And the only way to trade for them usually is to have um, to go and buy the studs at the auction, even though you're not trying to contend, but you're just going to buy them to flip them. Um, and I think that's a really good strategy for a rebuilding team. Does anyone else have thoughts on, on the issue of rebuilding in second year auctions or third? Well, I, I guess I'm the only person left, but uh, I do feel like Justin and Trey really kind of covered uh, what I would do too. So I'll uh, let us pass off of this. <laughs> okay. So what? Uh, oh, go ahead, Justin. I was going to say, I this is kind of a new topic, but I, I had a couple items here that I was thinking about and I was wondering what you guys felt about the strategies of um, I've been seeing this a little bit more often where, and I think I feel like you guys might have did done this in the brinksmanship auction when you nominated Manny Machado, Trey and Joe. You nominated him for more than a dollar, correct? We started him at forty two dollars, and then it was crickets, right? Yeah, but we so, did that knowing. Uh, I I guess Trey, do you want to talk through the thought process, and, and then I can. I mean, because I'm bringing that up because that is a strategy to have a, a high opening <laughs> bid, higher than a dollar. At some amount less than the guy's value at a price that you're comfortable paying, obviously, but you're kind of doing it to freeze the rest of the room and and maybe freeze them enough that nobody hits plus one on you. And I think that's what happened in that case with Machado. So I, I'll turn it over to Trey. We got lucky on that. We were surprised. Jack, Joe and I. Correa were, was actually our first pick, right? Right. Right. So it does freeze the room sometimes. You can you can overdo it. I mean, you can misjudge the room sometimes. I think we've seen that too, where you can start a bid at 
a high price and then all of a sudden no one bids and you think, wow, could I have gotten that guy for three or $5 less? So you have to be careful. The other thing I'll say, just a mechanical issue that's related to that is you need to be careful about using the plus one button because what will happen is um, Justin will use the plus one button. I'll nominate a guy for – I'll nominate Andrew McCutcheon for $1 and you'll see it go one, two, three, four, five. You'll see all these guys start bidding and then all of a sudden someone will actually bid a, a – a dollar you amount, can, let's say $55. And all of a sudden you'll hit plus one and you'll have them for 56 and you'll think, whoa, 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 I, I wasn't ready to bid 56 and now he's yours. So you have to be, you have to be careful on the trigger finger when it comes to that plus one button. Um, <laughs> yes, I don't use plus one pretty much as a rule for that exact reason. However, because I don't use plus one, I hand type in whatever bid I want to make. Um, that leads to some other hilarious results, like bidding $55 on Charlie Blackman last year in the champs auction. Well, I or, think he's worth about that this year, so <laughs> that worked out okay. Or, or, or I, I just an auction I just had last week, I bid $90 on Jeff Samarja because I was trying I was trying to type the league number into the surplus calculator, and I didn't realize that I was on the auction page, and I bid $90. So... You know, you just have to be a little bit careful that because you're not plus one you have to be very careful that you're typing in exactly the bid that you want. You don't enter an extra digit. Now, most times guys are going to know that you that was a, 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 a an honest mistake and and, you know, your commission will probably correct it. But just be very careful when you're making a bid that, you know, you, you meant to bid 11 and instead you bid 21. Um so that's the one advantage plus one has, except when somebody puts in one of those those big jump bids um, and they jump up 20, 30 or forty dollars. And you didn't realize that you were plus wanting a fifty five dollar bid, as, as Trey mentioned. So so let's go back to high opening bids real quick. Are there scenarios where you think that that is a good strategy as opposed to when you're trying to be too too cute? As I look at it, I would say if there's a player that you really like or really want or think that fits your plan, whatever your draft plan is very well, um, it's a good idea to open them higher than one dollar, um, but probably open him maybe five to six dollars less than you actually want to pay. Um, at least that's how I would approach it. And I probably there's maybe two or three times in an auction that I would do that. Yeah, I I can't recommend that anyone do a high opening bid like that. Um, mostly because you have to know what the market is for that player, and you have to know how much that player is worth. If you misjudge either of those two things, you're owning a $30 too low that you could have had for $17. And that's a big mistake to make. Um, so, you know, anyone listening to this that's, you know, not a veteran of Adenu, don't make high opening bids. Yeah, this is definitely a more advanced strategy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would not recommend it. I do not ever do it myself, um, okay. mostly because, you know, I, as funny as it is, you know, one of the things that um, came out of uh, the surplus calculator values that I had in there is, is I was getting constant questions about where's Jordan Zimmerman? Why is Jordan Zimmerman only a dollar on the surplus calculator? Well, Steamer hates him. Steamer thinks he's only worth a dollar. I nominated Jordan Zimmerman for a dollar the first night of our the very first nomination of the, of the new league that we're doing brinksmanship that, that Joe and Trey are co-owners co in. He went for two dollars. In any other league, Jordan Zimmerman's probably going for, I don't know, $10. But in that league, he went for two. So if you misjudged that, and if I had said, you know what, I'm going to bid five, I'm going to open him at five, 
I would have been stuck with him because nobody else would have, would have kept going. So, and even, even if everybody else in Ottawa <laughs> thinks he's worth $10, you might be in that one league that you're going to get crickets. And that's a big mistake to, to have to spend more money than you, sh- than you needed to on a player. Okay. So I, I agree. Um, with you, Justin, but I think like for me, if I'm going to open a player at higher than cost, I'm open. It's going to be a stud. So it's going to be an elite talent at some position. So for example, Machado, Trout, Stanton, Harper, Miggy, it's going to be one of those guys. I I definitely would not do it on anyone who's not a $40 player. Um, and I would, and typically they're guys that I think are worth 50 or higher. Um, and then I just try to open them for like $10 or $5 cheaper than I think they're actually worth just to see, because it has to be, your bid has your opening bid has to be high enough that people have to think twice because they have 15 seconds. But if you throw out a $20 player um, or a player, if you throw out trout at 30 bucks, people are going to push plus one pretty easily. If you throw right. out trout at 62, uh, it's a little bit harder for people to push plus one. Um, now I, I do think if I could happen that there is some advantage um, to what you just described, kind of splitting the difference. So if I was going to nominate Mike trout, I wouldn't nominate him at $1 number one, because we're just going to have to sit and wait as people bid up five and one and $10. Um, but at the same time, say if you nominate him at $30, uh, just cutting down the time a little bit, I think still gives you some advantage because you, you cut off some of that time where maybe a team that isn't as prepared, they're scrambling to go look at their value sheet. They're kind of thinking, what do I do here? Uh, whereas if you put him at $1, you know, that's an extra 30 or 45 seconds just to let him get from one to $30. So I do think it's, um, it, even with a player that might not be elite, a lot of times a player that I think would be worth $30, I'll start him at 10 or 15 you know, because there's not really much risk that you're going to accidentally spend too much. Um, but you do kind of get a little bit of that same advantage by just shaving the time off that he's sitting there on the table and everybody can go look him up. And, and I'll do the same thing, actually. Say if somebody else nominates Mike Trout, even if I'm not interested, I'll just immediately bid $35. Because there's no way he's going to go at 35, but I just cut out some of the time there that everybody would have time to look at him. Two other uh, kind of advanced tactics that I'll throw out. One is pay attention to the room uh, because the reaction that other people in the room have to players that you win can make a difference later on. So if you win a guy at $5 and everybody says, wow, that was a great buy, I can't believe it, you know that there's some interest there, at least initially. So you may have an opportunity to trade players. Be careful what you say to other owners as well, because they'll, they'll know the same thing. I guess the other thing I'll say is Joe and I co-drafted the other night and it was a great experience. I, I talked about that earlier because we were able to cross check each other and help each other check off players on our draft sheet. So Tom talked earlier about proxy drafting, but if you have the opportunity to, join Slack or be in a league and you want to join somebody's draft and co co draft with them. It's a great experience because they can really help you. They can say, look, you know, should I bid 10 here? No, wait, because there's another player that you could get at eight. That's just like that. So I think Joe has an article coming out pretty soon on co ownership, but uh, that was a good experience. I think for both Joe and I, I think I would do it again. It was a better experience than I expected it to be. The, well, the, the the nice part about having, um, I, I know you guys. I don't think you really did it this way, but but you can actually have the the both co owners in the auction room at the same time. They can both make bids at the same time. Um, so if one guy steps away, 
you kind of have a backup, you know, you got to go to the bathroom. Um, you don't have to wait for a break. It's kind of, it'd be kind of nice to have somebody else that you can just tag in for you while you, uh, have to attend to something else. So we actually were in the room at the same time, I, but what, only one of us, one of us just kept our hands off the computer, off the, right, controls. right, I, right. Yeah. But you could have, but you could have passed off if something came up and, and, you know, that's kind of a yeah. nice benefit to have to, to having a co-owner in the room with you. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to touch on, Trey? Just a couple more mechanics. I know we've got a lot of questions about this on Slack, but this is probably obvious. But when you run out of money or you run out of roster spots, your auction is done. So you can't draft 41 players unless you draft a player that is on the 60-day DL, and you can't draft over $400 for cap space. So, again, probably obvious, but it's probably important just to say that. Um, so you have to keep track of your of your roster spots. Those are tracked for you in the draft room. And you'll see those on the bottom right-hand side, but you can't overdraft that. Do you guys have any strategies as far as how much of your roster to fill? That question has come up too. I mean, I I saw that question today by somebody, and I think people have different opinions on that. I mean, you do not have to draft 40 players, so that's sort of the inverse of what I just said. But you can leave leave the auction with 35, 36 players or – or leaving money on the table. I, I don't know what you guys think about how much money you should leave yourself for the season, but I I would say maybe between six and twelve dollars is kind of where I I feel comfortable. It just depends on the auction though. And auto news unique, just for anyone listening who's never played, in that the money that you save is your free agent budget for the year. And during the season, if you cut a guy, you get half his salary back in cap space. So as the season goes on, you gradually have uh cap penalties that develop um and cap space that develops that you didn't have at the beginning of the year, but your free agent budget is implicitly tied to how much money you decide to save. Uh, I would just hop in and say, I, I definitely agree with Trey there that, you know, maybe about 10 or $12 would be the most I would aim for having left. Sometimes you leave a little extra money on the table. Um, but I think this is a prime area where owners, especially owners who may be less experienced, try to get too cute. And they say, Oh, I'm going to leave $50 left over. And then I'm going to win every player on the waiver wire. But what is kind of really easy to forget is that with how deep the rosters are, the waiver wire is really barren during the season. You know, so you do have an advantage to pick up maybe a player that was drafted really high after the uh, the draft in June or to pick up, you know, somebody's breaking out. But I wouldn't get too cute and think that you're going to be picking up multiple breakout players because there's just not that many players available. Yeah, I think for me. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, I think Tom, Tom's exactly right. I mean, it's pretty thin out there, especially right after the auction. Now, things will open up as the season goes along because players will break out and you'll start to see teams drop players that are injured and free up cap space. One thing you may also find is that, especially in a new league, it's not all that uncommon that at the end of the auction, teams have sort of overspent to the extent that, okay, maybe I budgeted to save 10 or $12, but actually now I only have $2. It's pretty common to see that throughout the league. So you'll see teams that have very limited flexibility as far as their finances, and the league will feel tight. You'll feel like it's really hard for me to make a trade or it's really hard for me to drop a player. Don't worry too much about that. It, it will feel that way for a while, but things will open up as the season goes along. Just things will happen to players, and you'll start to see more flexibility. Yeah, maybe Johnny Peralta gets injured, and all of a sudden you have $7 in cap space. <laughs> 
All right. So are there any other topics that you guys want to cover as far as the auction is concerned? It can be first year or um, for leagues that have existed for a while. If not, we can wrap this up. I don't know about you guys. I I feel like I kind of covered, you know, all the big things. And of course, you know, we'll be back throughout the season with more advice, not necessarily about the auction, but just about getting players and and all that. Okay. Well, I guess that wraps up episode two of Autographs. Feel free to rate and review on iTunes, or this should be on iTunes at this point. Um, If it's not, it should be appearing there soon. And definitely leave us any feedback you have in the comment section. I know we're still working on making sure the audio is not nearly as choppy um, and logistical issues along those lines. So, um, yeah, any feedback would be helpful. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great night.